the speaker for our last retreat session, our sixth and last retreat session. Um, he brought a powerful word last night. I mean, last night was crazy, wasn't it? I mean, it was intense. I mean, God is a God of power. And last night he dropped a powerful revelation called the essence of wisdom. Talking about the said and the unsaid. And there are some people in here that got really convicted by this message. Myself being one of them. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I just want everything, you know, given to me, you know. You know, I, I want, it, I want the, the microwave, you know, I want the, uh, I want, I want it. Anyway, uh, it was a real challenge and calling to go back to the place of intimacy. Uh, to go with Jesus into the secret place and ask for the explanation. I think it's really awakened something in me. And today, Pastor Benjamin Robinson is going to share another word uh, that's going to wrap up uh, this retreat on the God's hidden wisdom. Uh, so let's put our hands together one last time for Pastor Benjamin Robinson. Come on. Amen. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord today? Can you say amen? God is so good. He can't get no gooder. So awesome to be here again at Welly Hilly. When we got here, we went into our room and my daughter exclaimed, we've been here before. She remembers. She's, that, that girl has a memory and she can remember things. Sorry, just a moment to get situated here. This is our last session together this year. This retreat has been long. And it's been wonderful. It's been awesome. God has spoken to us by his spirit. And I believe that, and I've asked the Lord to grant the proper words that would bring this thing to a close. I want to talk to you this morning about what wisdom does. Last night, I talked to you about what wisdom is, but today I want to talk to you about what wisdom does because wisdom is not simply something you have, but wisdom is something that you use. Wisdom is not something that will simply dwell in your heart and will be there uh, for at your disposal, but it's something that is evident in your works. Everything that you do comes from either wisdom or foolishness. Every significant action of yours comes from either wisdom or foolishness. And Jesus said that wisdom is known by her children, which means what you do demonstrates what you have. If you have wisdom, it'll be demonstrated in what you do. If you have foolishness, it'll be demonstrated in what you do. And the scripture says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of direction will drive it far from him. I memorized that verse long ago because my mother used to make me quote it while she was whooping my behind. <laughs> foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of direction will drive it far from him. And so when we're talking about foolishness, we're talking about the antithesis of wisdom. Foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. Now, there's two things that I want to propose to you this morning. The first thing is that wisdom, when we're talking about divine wisdom, we're not talking about worldly wisdom. The scripture says that the wisdom of this world and of the rulers of this world is coming to nothing. But the wisdom of God endures forever. 
Now, the wisdom of this world comes through human experience, it comes through the human intellect, and it comes through human understanding. The phenomenon known as philosophy was a product of the human intellect, and it was based upon the concept of epistemology, which is the study of knowledge through reason and experience. The wisdom of God does not come through man's reason or man's experience, but the wisdom of God comes from the Spirit of God. And so there are some, there are some older people, 70, 80, 90 years old maybe, who, ha, who, who are moving in pure foolishness. Why? Because Psalm 14, 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You can have been on this planet for a hundred years and declare there's no God and there's no wisdom in you. It's foolishness. But then there's some young people who are moving in wisdom. There were young people in the scriptures who moved in wisdom. Shadrach, Meshach, and, and, a, and Abednego. I got to be careful saying his name. I get tripped up. Uh, but they were moving in wisdom even at a young age. And so Dr. Kirby said very clearly the other night that you don't have to wait till you're old to have wisdom. I can't finish his quote because I'm not qualified. Uh, I believe old people are beautiful. And so I, I remember he said old and ugly. Anyway, you didn't get it. I'm not qualified to say that because, um, so first and foremost, what I want to declare to you is that the source of God's wisdom is the spirit of God and that God's wisdom does not cut the off. You think, well, I'm just so young and I'm so inexperienced. That's what Jeremiah said. He said, Lord, I'm just a youth. And God said, don't say that you're a youth while you were in your mother's womb. I ordained you and I set you apart. And today I've set you over nations to root up and to tear down, to build and to plant and so when God puts his spirit on you, his wisdom begins to flow through you. It's a gift of the spirit of God and not of human reason or human experience. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter one, verse 17, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. And so if we want to understand wisdom, we've got to understand the human experience. We got to understand the Holy Spirit. You see, wisdom doesn't come through human experience, but it comes through divine direction. However, when you live long term under God's divine direction, then you have a greater level of wisdom. That is, when your human experience is determined by God's divine direction over a long period of time, now we're talking about how wisdom grows in you. Because now your human experience has been overcome by God's divine direction. So wisdom does something in you. And Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet speaks of the coming Messiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so it's the Holy spirit that releases wisdom, both in the Messiah and in us in Jesus and in us. It is the Holy Spirit that brings wisdom. Also in Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 9, the scripture speaks of Moses laying his hands on Joshua. And the scripture said that Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So I want to talk to you tonight about this, uh, this morning about the spirit of wisdom. How the Holy Spirit is able to give you wisdom. First, the first proposition I have for you this morning is that wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. The second is that wisdom does something. It enables you to do something. It is not passive, it is active. And if until you get a hold of the purpose for which God's wisdom comes, you never fully get a hold of God's wisdom. That is, you've got to understand why you need wisdom before you ask God for wisdom. 
Solomon asked God for wisdom because he knew that he had been given the task of shepherding the people Israel. And he knew that the task was too great for him. And so he asked God for wisdom, but there was a purpose for the request. I need your wisdom because I know what you have called and commissioned me to do. And until you know what God has called and commissioned you to do, you don't really understand why you need wisdom. And when you ask God for wisdom or when you ask God for his spirit, apart from the purpose for which God gives his spirit and his wisdom, then you're asking for selfish reasons. And so many in the body of Christ are asking God for his spirit for selfish reasons. Lord, give me more of the spirit. Why do you want more of the spirit? Because it feels so good when the spirit comes. Give me more of the spirit. Why? Because I want to fall and shake like she fell and shook. Give me more of the spirit. Why? So that I can scream and cry. And don't get me wrong. I love the manifestations of the spirit of God. When the spirit of God comes, but we must understand that the manifestation of the spirit is not the purpose for the coming of the spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon you so that you will manifest. The Holy Spirit comes upon you to empower you to do something in God's kingdom. And until you get up off the floor and say, now I'm going to go do something, you're not going to know what it means to walk in the Spirit. Amen? And so Jesus said this very clearly in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Said to his disciples, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has set in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you've got to do something. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to do something. And I'm telling you today that as you leave Welly Hilly, you got to leave with a resolve in your heart that I'm going to do something with what I have received. I'm not just going to come here and have a good time. I'm going to go home and do something with it. I've got to do something with it because if you put wisdom to work and you apply it, it begins to grow in you. If you take what you've received here and you put it to work, it'll grow in you and you'll get more wisdom. And if you put that to work, it'll grow in you and you'll get more wisdom. But if you don't do anything with what you've received here at this place, it'll start to wither and die in you. It'll start to It'll start to shrink and, and wither on the inside of you from disuse. And so you must resolve in your heart that you're going to put it to work. Now, wisdom is inherently creative. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 8. And I want you to see something. Proverbs chapter 8. I want to spend a few minutes in this chapter of Scripture. Because this is one of the most powerful wisdom passages in the entire Bible. First of all, begins in verse 1, does not wisdom call, does not understanding raise her voice. On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Now, we know that we've got to seek the wisdom of God, right? It's God's hidden wisdom. But here the scripture says that the wisdom of God is seeking you. I mean, the wisdom of God, some of you in your hearts are saying, how can I get wisdom? Oh, I'm so hungry for wisdom. The first thing that God wants you to know is his wisdom is seeking you. His wisdom is coming after you. His wisdom is pursuing you. It's crying aloud in the streets. When you come into your home, wisdom is standing at the door crying out, listen to me. I'm here. 
I'm going to speak some things that will take you out of your place of foolishness and into the truth. You simply have to give me your attention. Verse 15 and 16, by me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just by me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. That is wisdom is used for leadership. The proper application of wisdom is leadership. Verse 18 and 19, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. You say, I'm broke. What you need is wisdom. So I need more money. No, you need more wisdom. Riches and honor are with me. If you forsake wisdom, riches and honor go with it. But if you receive wisdom, and actually it says, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Now look, look at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Who's speaking? Wisdom is speaking. The wisdom of God is speaking in, in Proverbs chapter 8. And wisdom says... The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Look at verse 27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the, to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him. Look at verse 30. Then I was beside him like a master workman. Now, I know you guys like the ESV, but I like the NKJV here and the NIV. The NKJV says, I was beside him as a craftsman. The NIV says, there I was the craftsman at his side. Do you hear what the scripture is saying here? That in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, wisdom was standing at his side as the master craftsman. That is, wisdom is presented here as the agent of creation. God says, I'm going to create the heavens and the earth. What am I going to use to do it? I know wisdom. Come here. Come here, wisdom. Come here, wisdom. And wisdom comes. Yes. Stand here at my side. Through you, you're going to be the tool that I'm going to use to bring about the creation of the heavens and the earth. And it says, I was daily his delight. God is creating in wisdom and taking delight in what his hands have made. Why? Because it's done through his own wisdom. Rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Wisdom is the agent of creation. And when God gives wisdom, it means that something's about to be created. That means that when he gives his wisdom, he gives it for a creational purpose. That is, when the wisdom of God comes, it comes to stir up the creativity on the inside of you. It comes to bring about a release of divine creativity. Now, it's not an insignificant thing that you're that your theme is the hidden wisdom of God. Because when we're talking about the hidden wisdom of God, we're talking about the hidden endowment of creativity that dwells on the inside of your hearts. And I'm telling you today that there is an endowment of creativity that God has put on the inside of you. And when he begins to reveal that hidden wisdom, he causes that creativity to come to release. You with me this morning? So not just feeling, 
but empowerment. Now, I got to talk to you this morning about what I call the artisan anointing. And that's the title of this message today, the artisan anointing, because this is what God is releasing very strongly at New Philadelphia. And this is what he's releasing in the earth. Now, I want to draw your attention. I'm going to take you on a little journey here, and you don't have to flip. Just write down these verses. First of all, in Exodus 24, beginning at verse 18, God's God's presence had come and sat on the mountain. He had called Israel to Sinai. You've got to understand the importance of Sinai. This is God revealing himself to the nation of Israel. Sinai was where Israel became a nation and a people rather than simply a a nomadic group of tribes. But Israel becomes a nation here at Sinai. And they were born because of the revelation of God. God comes and sits on the mountain and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's... And, and then the voice of God speaks. There's a sound of the trumpet. And the people tell Moses, please tell God not to speak to us directly. You go hear from God and come back and tell us what he says. And Moses makes seven trips up and down the mountain during this period. And, and he's receiving from God and bringing it back to the people. And then going back up to God and reporting to God what's happening among the people. And God is speaking to him and sending him back down the mountain. And after the law is given, here in Exodus chapter 24, the scripture says that... Uh, the cloud rested on the mountain and God called to Moses and verse 18 says, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So Moses disappears. The leader of Israel has gone. They don't know if he'll ever return. 40 days and 40 nights. Moses is up on the mountain and what is God giving him on the mountain? God is giving him a vision. When we get to to chapter 25, what we see is the first thing that God gives Moses when he begins to give him the vision is he gives him a command about the offering. In chapter 25, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. God says, you tell Israel to give me an offering. I need an offering. Tell Israel to give me an offering. So it's a command, right? But then he finishes that verse, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution. So God commands the offering, but he only commands it from those whose hearts are willing. He says, I'm commanding you to do this, but it's completely voluntary. (laughs) I want to see who will voluntarily answer the command of God to give. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Not an obligated giver, but a cheerful giver. And that word cheerful in the Greek is hilarious. It's where we get the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. He loves a giver that laughs all the way to the plate. He loves, why? Because hilarious giving is the kind of giving that does not feel like a sacrifice. It feels like a privilege and it feels like the prelude to a great blessing. And that's the kind of giver that God loves. And so the first thing God says is take an offering. And Moses must've got real excited. Go up on the mountain. First thing, go down there and take an offering. Yes, Lord. Come down the mountain. God said, take an offering, offering time. Preachers love offering time. Preachers love taking offering. It's time to take an offering. But God, before Moses, before he lets Moses go, he has to let Moses know what the purpose of that offering is. And so he says in verse eight, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. He says, take an offering and then use it to build a sanctuary. Moses thought he was going to get to go on a vacation. He thought it was going to be a love offering for him and his wife. 
And God says, no, use it to build the tabernacle. Okay, that was kind of a joke. You can laugh something, you know. <laughs> All right. Chapter 25, verse 10, God begins to give him the plans for how to build that sanctuary. And first, he tells him how to build the ark and the table and the lampstand and the tent and the covering, the veil, the altar, and then the court. And then in chapter 28, verse 1, he tells him how to establish the priesthood, Aaron and his sons, and how to make garments for them and how to consecrate them. And then chapter 29, verse 38, he tells him about the kinds of offerings that are to be offered in the tabernacle. And then in chapter 30, verse 17, he tells him about the other implements that are to go in the tabernacle, the golden laver, the wash basin, and the anointing oil, and the incense, and so on and so forth. And, and so what God is doing in these chapters from about chapter 24 through chapter 30 is God is telling Moses, I want you to build this and this and this and this and this and, and build this and that and, and make it this way, construct it out of acacia wood, overlay it in gold, and then put ornate, you know, angelic beings on top. I and mean, he's giving them these very, very specific instructions. The problem is Moses doesn't know how to build any of it. And so now Moses is, is, is there on the mountain with God and he's saying, God, how am I supposed to do this? I mean, these are great plans, but I have no idea how to do it. Have you ever felt that way? I've got some great vision. There's some of you here, you got all kinds of vision on the inside of you. Some of you feel like God wants you to write books, but you can't seem to even write a, a blog entry. You can't even write a Facebook status update. You know? You feel like God wants you to be an actor or you feel like God, you know, you have this, God wants you to start a business, you know, but you can't even manage your personal finances, right? You have all of this God, you know, I have, I have a young person at Living Hope that he feels like God's called him to the realm of education, but he can't seem to finish his own education. So how am I going to educate others? You, you, you have this sense of disparity between the enormity of the call of God and your personal sense of efficacy, that sense of self-efficacy, we have a high level of vision, but a low level of efficacy. Because I know what God wants to do through me, and I, I possess it prophetically, and that's what the prophetic does. The prophetic says, go possess nations. And we say amen, and we jump and shout, and then we go home and say, God, how am I going to possess nations? I'm renting this apartment I'm living in. <laughs> I'm just renting a room in it. I live in the dorms. How am I going to possess nations? And so the Lord begins to see that Abraham, that Moses' heart is overwhelmed. It has been long. <clears throat> I switched from Moses to Abraham. You hear about that lady that stood up in the church and she prophesied, she prophesied Thus saith the Lord, I am with you, even as I was with Moses in the ark. And then she caught it and went, wait, the Lord thy God hath made a mistake. It was not Moses in the ark, it was Noah. <laughs> the Lord thy God hath made a mistake. <laughs> ah. This is the meat of my message right here. How much longer do I have to preach? Exodus 31 Verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, see. In the NKJV it says, behold. That word is super important. 
It means if you're not watching, you're going to miss this. I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And let me stop right here. Let me tell you why this is important. Because this is the first man in the Bible that God said he was going to fill with his spirit. Look at verse 3. And I have filled him with the spirit of God. First man in the Bible that God says, I filled him with the spirit. And what's his role? And he says, I filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Verse four, to devise artistic designs. The first anointing that God poured out in Israel was the, the artisan anointing. Moses had the vision, but didn't know how to hold a hammer. And he came down the mountain with a sense of enormity. How am I going to do this? And God says, don't worry, Moses. I set aside a man in your congregation by the name of Bezalel. I've called him by name. And I filled him with my spirit. In all craftsmanship. To create all kinds of artistic designs. Oh, you didn't know you could be anointed to bring about artistic designs. You didn't know there was an anointing for artistic excellence. It's not just an anointing. It is the anointing. To work in gold, silver, and bronze. In cutting stones for setting. And in carving wood. And look at verse 6. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may work, that they may make all that I have commanded you. God says, Moses, I haven't just left you with the vision, but I've put artisans among you. And I've given the anointing to them. To make everything that I've commanded you. They're going to do according to all that I have commanded you. Now understand the distinction here. Moses goes up the mountain and gets the vision. That's his job to live on the mountain. And then to come down the mountain and speak the vision to the people. But it's not Moses' job to start sowing. What if you know you came in and Moses is in there sowing? What are you doing? I'm making tent curtains. <laughs> Got to make this tabernacle. He's in there nailing. What are you doing? I'm making an ark of the testimony. I bet if Moses made that stuff, it would have looked all jacked up. <laughs> all makeshift. Ark of the covenant leaning off to the side. Legs on one side lower than the other. He's a, well, I dropped it. I put hydraulics in it. <laughs> it's a low rider. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine rolling out the Ark of the Covenant with hydraulics? <laughs> he said, I've put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. Chapter 31, verse 6. That's what it says in the New King James Version. I've put wisdom in the hearts of 
of all the gifted artisans. Now, go over to chapter 36, verse 1. Actually, verse 2. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. Everyone whose heart stirred him up. It's not just that, that Moses called out everyone who came to the house of the Lord and you're already an artisan, a craftsman. If you have at least five years experience with graphic design, come to the altar, saith Moses. I need graphic designers. I need some web developers. We're going to really build this thing. We're going to have an online tabernacle. I need a, to redesign the logo, you know. I need photographers who have been photographers for at least five years or more. No, it says everyone whose heart was stirred, which meant that there were some folks who said, I never did anything artistic before, but my heart is stirred. I don't know if I have any artistic gifts, but my heart is stirred. There's a stirring in my heart and the stirring in your heart is indicative of the moving of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That God is, is stirring up your heart and saying, I'm going to use you to do something. <clears throat> I know you don't feel like you're adequate to do anything, but my spirit is making you adequate. I'm going to use you to do something. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. You have no idea what you can do when God puts his spirit on you. I'm talking about folks who can't play an instrument. The Holy Spirit can come on you and suddenly you can play an instrument. Folks who sing out of tune, the Holy Spirit can come on you and you can sing in tune. Now, at the same time, you got to be willing to receive instruction. Because if you get up and sing out of tune, it's a sign that it's not the spirit of wisdom, but it's foolishness. <laughs> So now the purpose of the anointing is established. The anointing, the artisan anointing. And I just sense that God is stirring up the artisan anointing at New Philadelphia. And I saw it so clearly when the dance team was up here. Wasn't that powerful? It wasn't just excellent dance, but it was a brilliant strategy. Did, how many of you noticed that they used some secular songs there? Did you notice that? You know, you find yourself moving. You know, well, wait a second. This is the house of God. <laughs> They're up there just shaking and jiving. <laughs> Hold on a second. Did you notice their strategy? They started with folks way out in the world. And with every song, they drew them closer to the throne of God. And then when they got to Drake, you're a little bit confused. Because he's going, just hold on, we're going home. Who is this song written to? It's still a worldly song, but they sanctified it. And then they throw in a worship song. What was the worship song they did? Sinking deep. All of a sudden, boom. It's turned upward. The strategy was to grab people way out in the world and then step by step lead them right. I'm telling you, folks who see that are going to find themselves in the presence of God and not know how they got there. 
What? I, I worship you. Where this? Wait a minute. We were singing Drake a second ago. How did I get here? What in the world is wrong with me? Oh, these tears falling down. Why? It was the artisan anointing. It was the artisan anointing that came on those dancers up here. And whoever choreographed that thing, who's the choreographer? Choreographer, stand up. Uh. Wow. Sit down. That's, that's, that's amazing. It's absolutely brilliant. I was blown away by that. It's the artisan anointing because what the artisan anointing does is it doesn't simply create something churchy. See, if you go back to the time of Israel and you see the way they constructed the Ark of the Covenant and the, the tabernacle of Moses, it wasn't simply a churchy thing. But it was reflective of what was happening among the nations, but it was sanctified. You see, Israel was not the first nation to have a tabernacle or a temple. They weren't the first nation to have a place of worship, but they didn't build something that was completely cut off from the world. But it was something that people from all around the world could come and look at and say, wow, this is amazing. You remember the queen of Sheba came during the time of Solomon and she marveled at his wisdom. She looked at the temple and the seating of his elders and, and she said, my God, I've heard of your wisdom, but the half has never been told. But what was she seeing when she heard of his wisdom? He wasn't sitting there dropping proverbs she came and saw the aesthetic of the house she came and saw the artistic of uh, the artistic qualities of what they had produced there and she was blown away by it and she said how privileged your servants are to stand before you that's the kind of anointing that god is putting on new philadelphia church and soul the artisan anointing and god is raising up bezalels and he's raising up aholiabs and he's raising up many gifted artisans in the house now, have you ever had one of those dreams where you tried to run, but you couldn't run? You know what I'm talking about? Something happened and you're like, <laughs> and in your dream, you're thinking, why can't I move? Some of you feel that way in real life. Some of you feel like I can produce so much more than I'm producing right now. I can do so much better than I'm doing right now. Some of you find yourselves tripping up and falling over the simplest tasks. I said, what in the world is going? I know I can do this. Some of you, some of you were actually more excellent in your previous place. And then you came here and all of a sudden you're nervous and you're making dumb mistakes. And you know, what in the world is going on? Let me tell you what the spirit of God is doing. Number one, the spirit of God is baptizing you into a new season. Because whereas in the past, your excellence came from your own human endeavor. It came from your own sense of giftedness and your own sense of talent. Now he's teaching you a new kind of excellence that comes from the spirit of the Lord. You're going to learn the Davidic dance. When the spirit of the Lord comes upon my heart, I'm going to dance like David danced. The Davidic dance is an anointed dance. It comes from the power of God. It doesn't come from human skill and ability. But what the Spirit of God is doing is He is baptizing your human skill and ability. And He's taking it to a completely different place and to a completely different level. And what God is doing when the wisdom of God comes, number one, it brings you a new level of energy. Because some of you just feel worn out and tired all the time. But the wisdom of God brings a new energy. And secondly, the, new, the wisdom of God brings a new level of efficacy. All of a sudden, you felt you couldn't do it, but suddenly you begin to declare, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
that new sense of efficacy and empowerment. Whereas yesterday you felt incompetent. Today you feel competent. And tomorrow you feel empowered. And then thirdly, this, the spirit of wisdom is bringing a new level of ecstasy. And you're going to need that to carry you through the rough times. Remember the scripture said in Proverbs chapter 8 that he said, I was daily delighting in his presence. You should be delighted to do the work of the Lord. But what we're going to do is kill this phenomenon called burnout. We're going to kill it forever. We're going to put it to death and bury it in the ground. We're going to seal the tomb and, and no angel's going to come and roll the stone away. This thing will not be resurrected. See, the problem is we tend to resurrect the wrong things. The resurrection powers in Jesus, but we end up resurrecting the flesh. The resurrect, you say, I put that to death six months ago. How is it alive again today? Because we've got faith for the resurrection, but we've got faith for the resurrection of the wrong things. We think I was burnt out before, I'll be burned out again. I was hurt before, I'll be hurt again. I messed up before, I'm going to mess up again. And what we're doing is resurrecting things that Christ has put to death. But what God wants to do is resurrect the things the world has put to death and put to death the things that the world has called alive. But what we end up doing is resurrecting the wrong things. But the wisdom of God comes to enable you to put to death the things that God has put to death and to leave them in the ground and say, this will never be again. It will never rise again because the spirit of God has brought about a new wisdom, a new efficacy, a new energy and a new ecstasy. You're going to learn how to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There's all kinds of artisan gifts in our midst. All kinds of artisan gifts. All kinds. God is releasing the artisan anointing. Now, some of you have been hungering for the Spirit of God in new ways. You've been hungering for the things that you've seen other people receive. And I've just been sensing, and Pastor Christian has sensed, an increased hunger in the house. We've had so many altar calls for all kinds of folks. Folks on the fringe, or this, this group of leaders, or that group of leaders. But there's a group of you who have never experienced the powerful manifestation of the Spirit of God. And you've been hungering for it. And you've been waiting for your opportunity. And I'm telling you that this is your opportunity right now. That the Spirit of God is coming. But before we go to that place, I need you to understand the purpose of the coming of the Spirit of God. The anointing of the Holy Spirit doesn't simply come to give you the power to speak in tongues. Although I hope you do speak in tongues. Because Paul said, I wish all men spoke in tongues. But the Spirit of God doesn't simply come to give you the power to fall or to shake or to cry. It's not just about the manifestation. But there's something beyond the manifestation. On the other side of the manifestation are the mighty works of God. You know, they said in, where was it? Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Or Mark chapter 6, verse 2. What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Wisdom is manifested in mighty works. And God is going to empower you to work mighty works. And wherever you are working the mighty works of God, the artisan anointing is flowing and it's being released. And now God, at a whole other level, is going to release the artisan anointing among you. To go forth and do mighty works. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I remove the thought from your mind. I don't understand. Because some of you are saying, I've heard so much and I'm so confused about everything I've heard and I don't understand. No, I remove that from your mind and heart right now. That will no longer be your confession. You will no longer say, I don't understand. But now you're going to begin to say, I know. I know. 
And you're going to learn how to speak the things you know. You're going to learn how to allow the secret things to belong to the Lord, but you're going to learn how to possess the revealed things. Because Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children. And there's some stuff that God has given to you to possess, and it belongs to you today. And Paul knew how to speak of the things that he knew and leave the things that he didn't know to God. And so he said, we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who are the called according to his purpose. He said, we know that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. These are the things that we know, and we're going to stand on what we know and not be confused about the things that we don't know. And so the things that I don't know, and Pastor Daniel's taught me this, that when I feel like I don't know something, I simply say, I know. Instead of saying, I don't know, I say, I know. Why? Because the knowledge is in me. Why is the knowledge in me? The Holy Spirit is in me, and he knows all things. And so the knowledge is in me. It just hasn't occurred to me yet. But I know that my God is going to speak it to me. He'll either speak it to me in the secret place, or he'll speak it to me in the public place. He'll speak it to me through a preacher, or he'll speak it to me through the Spirit. But however way, he said, he'll guide, the spirit of truth is going to guide me into all truth. And Jesus said, he'll take of what is mine and declare it to you. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And last thing I want to say is that so many of you love to talk about the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I'm convicted. I'm convicted. I'm convicted. Yes, there is a proper use of that term. But some of you understand it wrong. Because a conviction always is followed by a, by a, a sentence. When the judge convicts you, the next stage is sentencing. When, when we talk about God convicting us, we're talking about God arresting our hearts and calling us to attention. But we're not talking about shame and condemnation. I felt so much shame about this or condemnation about this. No, God arrested my heart and called my attention. And that conviction is the conviction that says, I have a resolve in my heart that I'm going to walk at this place. And I want you to have a godly conviction in your heart, a resolve in your heart that says, I'm no longer going to walk in ignorance, but I'm going to walk in the truth. I'm no longer going to walk in foolishness, but I'm going to walk in wisdom. Why? Because I am indwelt by the spirit of the living God. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come up. This is what we're going to do. We're going to reach for the baptism in the Holy Spirit today. For those who have never experienced it. But there's something you need to understand about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. While the worship team is coming, I need the leaders to come stand across the front. There's something you need to understand about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, I will say, is a subsequent experience. It means you come to faith in Jesus Christ, but there's still an availability of a greater release of power and grace. It's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. However, though it is experientially subsequent, it's theologically concurrent. What does that mean? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit already dwells on the inside of you. Those who speak in tongues are not better than you. And actually, God dwelling in your heart, you can't get any more intimate than that. When we're talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the reality that's already there becoming experientially available to you. 
Because there's so much that God has already done that you're just not experiencing. And God wants to give you access to it in your actual experience. See, there's so many realities. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's that word behold again. So you've got to learn how to behold that all things have become new. Because you look at your life even after coming to Christ and it seems like some old stuff is still there. But you've got to learn to behold that that old stuff isn't there anymore. It's not true. But even though it's not true, it's still real. There's things that are real but not true. Revelation 1.6 says, To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. The truth is that when you came to Jesus Christ, he forgave all of your sin and he removed all of your sin. He took it all away. You say, but I'm still battling sin. Yeah, that might be real, but it's not true. And it's real, which means you've got to deal with it. We're not going to be Gnostic and say, oh, no, no, that's an illusion. You're not really sinning because, no, 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 you're really sinning. But when we go on sinning after we've come into the knowledge of the truth, we're walking in that which has already been taken from us. And we have to learn how to behold that we're not in that anymore. Same thing with our sickness. We talked about sickness, how, you know, by his wounds, you have been healed. The truth is that on the cross, Jesus bore all of your sickness. He said, but why is my body still sick? Well, yeah, that's real, but it's not true. I mean, it's real. You got to deal with it. Go to the doctor, take the meds they give you. It's real, but it's not true. The truth is that you've been completely healed. And so at every level, we're learning to walk in the truth. It's the same thing with the demonic. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, he triumphed over every power and principality. He made a public spectacle of them. He triumphed over them by the cross. Jesus said to his disciples, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. Nothing will by any means hurt you. John said it in 1 John chapter 2. He said, I write to you young men because you are strong, because you have overcome the evil one and because the word of God lives in you. You have overcome the evil one. That's the truth. He said, then why do I still struggle with demonic oppression? Well, it's real and you got to deal with it. Just like you got to deal with ongoing sin. Just like you got to deal with ongoing sickness. And there's no condemnation in still having to deal with these things that are ongoing. You say, well, shouldn't everything have changed when I came to Christ? Well, that's what discipleship is. It's the process of growing deeper and deeper and deeper into the truth. Learning to behold that all things have become new. And God begins to give revelation. And the, and the longer we walk with Him and the closer we walk with Him, we begin to discover that these things are true. All of a sudden, one by one, those nagging sins, they begin to fall off you. And you begin to realize, wow, He actually took them away 2,000 years ago. It just took me maybe the last eight years of my walk with Christ to realize it fully. To come fully into that truth. And so wherever you are on the journey and whatever you're struggling with, tonight, today, we're going to focus on the truth without denying the reality of what you're battling. Because we're going to walk with you. And that's what, that's what New Philadelphia Church is here for, is to walk with you. Step by step, Jesus said it to Peter, don't be afraid, Peter. Just come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'm telling you, keep walking. I don't want you to be discouraged because you're battling the same stuff and it seems to be nagging. No, just keep following Jesus. Just keep following Jesus. Just keep seeking his face, seeking him wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. He's going to take you deeper and deeper into the truth, deeper and deeper into the truth, deeper and deeper into the truth until you, you begin to discover your oneness with God. 
He who is in Christ is one spirit with him. Joined to Christ. One with him. He indwells you. Not as a roommate who never comes out of his room. He wants to erupt from your being. He wants to turn you into a spiritual volcano. That's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. It is a Holy Spirit eruption. What was on the inside of you that has just been quiet. It's been a dormant volcano. But now you're about to become an active volcano. That power was already there. It was just dormant. But now there's some shifting and there's some quaking. And the power that has resided on the inside of you is now coming to the surface. And not only coming to the surface, but Jesus said out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Not just to overflow your own being, but to overflow the people around you. I'm talking about the overflow of the Spirit. Now some of you here are hungry. You're hungering and thirsting. You're hungering and thirsting. You want to see God do something new in your life. Some of you have seen the stuff. You've seen what God has been doing in others. And you've been crying out in your heart, God, I want that for me. And now you've gotten a hold of that artisan anointing. You say, I need that. I want, I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit because I want to do something in the kingdom of God. I want to labor to build the house of the Lord. And I'm not going to try to be the Moses that goes and gets the vision. I'm going to hear the vision. And I'm going to bring about the things that God has put in Moses' heart. I'm going to build the house of the Lord. I'm going to build the house. Something on the inside of you, God wants to unlock it. And so I'm going to open this altar right now. For those of you that have not experienced the fullness of the Spirit, the eruption of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, but you're hungry for it. You're hungry. Maybe you're new and you've been crying out for it. Maybe you're new and you see it and you're interested. I'm not putting any pressure on you. Nothing has to happen here. I simply want you to come and receive. And believe that God is going to bring about an eruption of his spirit. If that's you, I want you to just come right now and just line up here at the altar. Our ministry team leaders are going to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As you come, just lift up your hands. Just lift up your hands. Also, Pastor Daniels, Pastor Diane, Pastor Sonny. Dr. Kirby, Pastor Sandra, if you wish to come and lay hands, we welcome you. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Even now, Father, I pray that by your spirit that you would bring about that eruption, that eruption, the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the endowment with power. God, fall upon these, your sons and daughters. Fall upon them today in power. Fall upon them today in power. Let there be a release of your spirit. And we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody else, I want you to stand and just begin to worship.